Today's reading is Genesis 26, starting the best one. Now there was a famine in the land. Besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, near Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Don't go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you, and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and will give them all these lands, and through your offsprings all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commandments, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister, because he was afraid to say, She is my wife. He thought, The men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the men might have well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, Anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold, because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and camped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug up in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarrelled with those of Isaac and said, The water is ours. So he named the well Esek, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarrelled over that one also, so he named it Sitnath. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarrelled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called it on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Asuhath, his personal advisor, and Philcol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, Why have you come to me since you are hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, 
We saw clearly that the Lord was with you, so we said, There ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we did no harm to you, but always treated you well, and sent you away peacefully, and now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Early the next morning the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they went away peacefully. That day Isaac's servant came to him and told him about the well they had dug. They said, We found water. He called it Sinath, and to this day the name of the town has been Beersheba. Good morning. Uh, my name is Nick. I'm one of the ministers here at Christchurch Mayfair. Uh, let's pray as we begin. Our oh, Father, as we come to your word, we pray uh, for your help. Lord, please help us. Please, would your promises encourage us this morning? Amen. Um, earlier this week, I was putting my four-year-old uh, to bed, um, and we had a, a little Bible time, and when it was my turn to pray, um, I thought about these stories that we've been looking at in Genesis, about how God's love uh, just does not let Jacob uh, and his family go. And so I prayed, um, God, thank you so much that you hold me and that you never let me go. And I looked up, and my son was, was frowning. He was really bothered. And I asked him what was wrong. And then I remembered that, that, that he'd spent the whole afternoon being wrestled by his older brother. And so when he heard the phrase, God holds me and doesn't let me go, he was imagining being pinned down on a trampoline. And he said to me, Daddy, if God does not let you go, I will whack him. And I had to reassure him, no, 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 God doesn't let me go like, like your mummy doesn't let your baby sister go, not like your brother pins you down uh, on the trampoline. But that's what we're thinking about in this series in Genesis, that God's promises just won't let this family go in a good way. Um, and, and that this family learned to live in light of those promises in the mess of everyday life. Um, and chapter 26 this week, it's all about uh, living in light of those promises when you're surrounded by hostility, when people are opposing you, when people are attacking you. It's all set up really in verses uh, one to three. We see there that God tells this family to stay during a famine, to live in the land of the Philistines. Um, as the story goes on, we, we, we see that they're quite afraid of the Philistines. Uh, the Philistines are going to make their lives very difficult. So they're surrounded by hostility. But God doesn't just thrust them into that situation kind of helpless. No, he arms them with these immense promises that are right there in verse 3. Look at verse 3 with me. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give them all these lands. Through your offspring, all nations will be blessed. So they're surrounded by this hostile nation and God arms them with these immense, immense promises. And the question comes then for the rest of the chapter, okay, well, when the hostility comes, will Isaac and his family trust the promises that God has made to them? And that question really becomes the same question for you and me as we look at this chapter. For those of us that would call ourselves Christians, you see, 
like Isaac, uh, Christian is armed with immense promises uh, from God. In the Lord Jesus, the Lord promises me complete forgiveness. He promises that I get to call him and know him like my father. He promises me a future inheritance that can never perish, ball or fray. He promises me that, that everything bad that happens in my life will ultimately turn out for my good. Immense promises the Lord makes to every Christian. The question is for us, when opposition comes, when we're surrounded by hostility, when people oppose us because of our faith, will we trust the promises that God has made to us? Now, as we go through, we're going to see that Isaac has some ups and some downs. And it begins really with a bit of a down. He begins by doubting God. You're going to see in verses 7 to 11, he imagines in his mind and doubts God. So check out verse 7 with me. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, because he was afraid to say she's my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she's beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebecca. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she's really your wife. Why did you say she's my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. So surrounded by this, kind of this hostile nation, um, Isaac's afraid because his wife is so beautiful that he might be killed um, because of her. And so he lies. He tells everyone that she's his sister. Now, God's made it abundantly clear to Isaac that he will protect him. But instead of trusting that and telling the truth and letting the chips fall where they may, Isaac lies uh, about it. There's a couple of interesting things about this lie. Firstly, to, to say that Rebecca is his, um, his sister rather than his wife, that is to expose her in that culture. It is, it is putting her in harm's way. So this is a, a cowardly thing for him to do. His fear here is making him think only of himself. He's not thinking about how this lie might hurt other people. This is a kind of a self-protective lie. But the second thing that's interesting about this lie is that it's unnecessary that this particular fear of being killed on account of his wife is unfounded. So check it out in verse 10 and 11 what the king of the Philistines says. Then Abimelech said, what is this you've done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. See, in God's providence here, no one was going to kill him um, for the sake of his wife. The, the king of this hostile nation even ends up protecting him. So what's going on here? Well, Isaac um, imagined a problem that might come to pass. And then fear of that imaginary problem has controlled him. It reminds me, Mark, Mark Twain once said, um, I've lived a long life and had many troubles, most of which never happened. Well, Isaac here, he's imagining a trouble which will never happen. He's, he's, he's conjuring up anxieties. He's overrun with the what ifs. And the, his fear of that imaginary future leads him to doubt God's protection of him. It leads him to lie. 
that imaginary future was more real to him than the promises of God. And yet it's, it's easy to do that. It's easy to be so afraid of the what-ifs, the possible negative outcomes, that I take my eyes off God's promises. I wonder what that is for you. I wonder what are the, the what-ifs that control you, that take your eyes off God's promises. See, one practical example from my life um, that springs to mind is often when I'm hanging out with my non-Christian friends, um, the opportunity might naturally come up to uh, say something about uh, the Christian faith, to share my faith. And what happens in that moment? Well, immediately I imagine all the possible negative outcomes all the what-ifs flooded to my world. What if I'm misunderstood? What if uh, it's awkward? What if it does more harm than good? And then my fear of that imaginary future can lead me to back down, to just to keep quiet, to not say anything. See, rather than trusting God, trusting his promises to me and letting the chips fall where they may, I let the fear of that imaginary future control me. Oh, I wonder what that is for you. What are the what are the what ifs that control you? See, Isaac here, he, he imagines in his mind, and that leads him to doubt God. Well, the next thing that happens is not imaginary at all. The, the hostility he faces next is very, very real. Next, we're going to see he faces violent opposition, and yet this time he's going to trust God. Let's have a look down at verse twelve with me. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You've become too powerful uh, for us. So Abimelech's kind of good favour doesn't last that long, it seems. Uh, he, he forces Isaac to move on. And they stop up his, the, the wells that were made by Isaac's father, Abraham. Now, just think about that for a moment. To, to stop up the wells of someone in that culture, that is a serious attack. Right In that country at that time, there are no taps, there's a very hot sun, and Isaac has a lot of people that he's caring for. To have your water supply attacked, cut off, that is a serious problem. That's no joke. I just imagine for a moment, if you, if you came home one day and your neighbours, for some reason, had cut off your water supply and refused to let you have any. I mean, what would you do? You can't wash. You can't, you can't eat, you can't drink, you can't give water to the people in your household. What would you do? You'd have to move. And that's exactly what he tries in verse 17. But look, every time he moves, they, they attack his water supply again. Check this out. Verse 17. So Isaac moved away from there and camped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, the water's ours. So he named that well Essek, which means dispute. And because they, dispu uh, because they disputed with him, 
Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also, so he named it Sitna, which means opposition. So every time he digs a well, which is no small feat, they, they come and they oppose and they try and cut off that water supply as well. And he has to get up and he has to relocate. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it stressful enough just to get my family in the car, let alone relocating a whole kind of tribe. And yet the Philistines' attacks on him, they, they, they mean that he has to just keep relocating and relocating. This attack, it's making it very, very difficult for Isaac to obey God's command. Remember verses 2 and 3, God commanded him to stay in this land. Imagine being Isaac in this situation, how easy it would be to disobey that command. With all this stress, all this pressure, all this opposition, how easy it would be just to say, sack it, I'm going down to Egypt where I know there's going to be enough water. And yet Isaac doesn't do that. Right? He doesn't disobey God by running away. And he doesn't lash out against the Philistines. He just keeps moving. He keeps trusting God and absorbing that hostility. Now, if you're a Christian watching this, I, I don't know what hostility you might encounter because of your faith. I spoke to a number of people from our church family this week about the hostilities they've faced when they've been honest about their faith with people. And I heard about a number of different um, kinds of hurt, really. There was one person who told me of uh, the sting of being socially sidelined in their days as a student, just gradually isolated out of a friendship group. Another person told me of just the, the, the drain of low-level mockery from a family member, just constant teasing about their faith, exhausting. Another person told me about the humiliation of having a superior at work laugh in their face publicly, laugh in their face when they answered a question about what they believed. Of course, compared to what Isaac's facing here, compared to many Christians around the world, these examples aren't, aren't awful, but they do hurt. And whatever the situation is, when that moment comes to you, when that hostility comes to you, Will you trust the promises that God has made to you? Will you run away or will you lash out or will you trust the promises that God has made to you? See, Isaac does here. He trusts God and God's promises prevail. It's in this, in this section, verses uh, 12 to 22. Look, look at verse 12 with me. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. Now skip to verse 22. He moved from there and dug another well and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth saying, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. See, these, these hostile people are doing everything they can to make life difficult, but that cannot stop God's promises. Like God's promises are stronger 
than that human hostility. They prevail against it. So when human hostility comes, will you trust them? Will you trust God's promises to you? And in the final section, we're going to see um, Isaac. This time he does nothing um, and he's vindicated by God. So let's get down to verse 26 uh, with me. Meanwhile, Abimelech uh, had come uh, to him from Gerar with uh, Huzath, his personal advisor, and Fickle, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? So you can imagine there, uh, the Philistine king and his top advisors, they come and they knock on the door of Isaac's tent. Isaac comes out and says, what do you want? You hate me. You keep sending me away. What do you want now? Look at what they say, verse 28. They answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us uh, and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you are blessed by the Lord. So do you see how the tables have turned, right? This king who had to grant Isaac protection in verse 10 and 11, who sent him away in verse 16. That king is now coming and begging for a peace treaty. And why is he doing that? Well, it's at the start of verse 28 um, and the end of verse 29. Start of verse 28, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. The end of verse 29, now you are blessed by the Lord's. Right, they have come to acknowledge that God is with him. Now just imagine what that would have felt like for Isaac to hear those words. Right? He has been misunderstood and mistreated for years. And now those very same people come and acknowledge that his choices, his choice to follow the Lord, was right. He's vindicated in the eyes of those who attacked him and were hostile to him. I just notice here, by the way, that, that Isaac's really quite passive, kind of really in, across this whole chapter. He doesn't really do very much. Uh, he's not striving to, to, to kind of make this blessing happen. He's not working hard to be accepted and understood by the Philistines. He doesn't really do very much. God just relentlessly blesses him and brings these blessings to pass. And as God keeps that promise to him, as God blesses him, gradually other people come to see and realize what's going on. And he's vindicated in the eyes of those who opposed him. Now, for the Christian, the same pattern is true for us. See, Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11 says, One day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee and every tongue. See, one day those people that misunderstand us, that oppose us, they will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. We will be, in that sense, vindicated. And knowing that, I think, makes a huge difference to me personally. Um, because one of the things that I find hardest about when my faith's opposed is, is I hate the feeling of being misunderstood. 
Do you know what I mean? I hate the thought that, that, that people will assume that I'm narrow-minded or I'm bigoted because of my faith. And, and fearing that misunderstanding can lead me to be quiet. It can lead me to want to hide my faith at times. But if this is true, if one day everyone that's hostile to us will, will, will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, well, if that's true, then being misunderstood is only temporary. For me, there's a world of difference between being misunderstood full stop and being misunderstood for a while. I can do the latter. See, when people oppose me, when people attack me, well, I do know that, that one day they will see. I don't need to fear them. I don't need to fear their misunderstanding in quite the same way. So Isaac here he doesn't really do anything, but he is vindicated by the Lord's. So when opposition comes, when hostility comes, will you trust the promises that God has made to you? I'd love to finish just by telling you a story of a, uh, a man I once met who really understood this and it changed his life. Um, I was at a barbecue at my brother's house and I got chatting with this, this, this cheerful looking um, Iranian guy. And it turned out that he was staying with my brother. So I asked him, oh, are you just visiting? And he said to me, um, actually, no, I'm on the run. And I thought, cool. Um, and I asked him why. It turned out it wasn't very cool. He, he said to me, oh, I'm on the run because I recently put my faith in Jesus. And now my Muslim family are trying to have me killed. My uncles are, are, have, have, have followed me over um, and are trying to find me and have me killed. So I'm moving around the country and I'm staying with different Christians until I find a place where I can lie low. And I thought, wow, yeah, it's hard enough if members of your family tease you, right? But if they're actively trying to kill you, I can't imagine how unsettling that must be, how unpleasant that must be. And later I asked my brother, like, what was it that kept this guy going? Because he seemed, he seemed fairly cheerful. What was it that kept this guy going? And my brother said, this guy would say that it was having God's promises. That to him, God's promises were, were more real. They were bigger. They were stronger than the hostility that he faced. And that knowing those promises gave him a confidence. It gave him a peace even as he was on the run. So when opposition comes, when you face hostility because of your faith, will you trust the promises that God has made to you? Let me pray. Father, we praise you for the way that you bless, relentlessly bless Isaac, despite the hostility that he's facing here. We praise you that your promises uh, do prevail um, over human opposition. Father, help us to cling to your promises when hostility comes. Amen.